welcome to the Performance Science Podcast. We are joined here by Joe, Lauren, and Piper. Hi. Hi. (laughs) And it's appropriate because these are all students who are asked to perform in the classroom, and you guys have probably heard a lot about what predicts academic performance. The paper that we're going to discuss today is focused on just that, and our discussion will be led by Joe, who has had the pleasure of reading through this paper, and I'm very excited about it. So I am as well. So That's introduce. Good. Let's hear the, the title, author, year, and, and the, all the, the masthead, all the information we need. Yes. So today we are discussing the hungry mind, intellectual curiosity, uh, as the third pillar of academic performance. And this paper was published by Perspectives on Psychological Science by Sophie von Stum, Benedict Hell, and Tomas Chamorro Primusic. Very nice pronunciation. Oh, thank you. Tomas, if you're listening, I hope you got your last <laughs> name correct. So, great. That's the thing. And we've already alluded to a little bit about why we should care about this. But, Joe, can you walk us into what the paper was about and why we should care what's interesting about this paper? Sure. So, as mentioned in the title, this is a paper about academic performance and predictors of academic performance. Uh, Traditionally, we tend to look at uh, measured intelligence as a predictor of how an individual will do in an academic setting. And while that is true, uh, this paper proposes that intellectual curiosity, a person's desire to learn and willingness to learn something new, is indicative of how well they're performing in an academic setting maybe more so than how well they do on an intelligence test. Right. So in this paper, what they're actually, they're leading us into this idea that we've been taught that intelligence is some raw trait, some fixed statuesque ability in our minds. And yet this paper goes to examine that a little bit more deeply. What aspects of this are actually attributable to our intellectual and academic performance? And if there is some other factor, maybe factors, then what are they? So what sorts of stuff do they talk about the introduction that leads us to the paper and the questions that we're interested in? So uh, the paper really begins by talking about the history of academic performance and how we measure performance in an academic setting. In all levels of education, we tend to associate cognitive ability with academic performance. Yeah, really interesting. So the main thing we want to understand here is what predicts academic performance. And the way we've measured this has changed, and they're leading us toward then a newer model of how to predict what will actually matter for our performance overall. Yes, and so recently those models have been changing to where in 2003, Chamoto Music, Pretty Music, and Fernum found that personality traits account for four times the variance in an individual's exam results than an intelligence test for elite university students. And so... There are factors that are in play that move beyond general cognitive ability, maybe the cognitive ability that one is born with. Mm -hmm. Cool. I think I have a good idea of what they did and why they did it. Or I actually have a good idea of why they did this. Are there other terms that we need to know from the introduction as we discuss a little further? How did they talk about curiosity and intellectual effort and things like that? When you say cognitive ability in the first part for historically, is that just 
one's ability to quickly make connections or memorize data or like what exactly does this mean in the context of measuring academic performance? So cognitive ability tends to be as it relates to intelligence tests. So Sir Francis Galton was the father of intelligence research in the 1800s. We were to assume that like cognitive ability is like the fundamental way to measure your like intellectual capacity because there's no really like concrete way to measure it. Wouldn't you like therefore say there's no way to give an, an accurate measurement of cognitive ability? Well, what this is that that's actually the crux of the whole thing. Is there a way to actually measure cognitive ability concretely? and in a way that we can repeat with each other. So that's why these early intelligence tests like IQ and other cognitive aptitude tests, which are designed to test what's the universal structure of one's ability to perform some task. And the question is, we know that those forms of intelligence like IQ and these other metrics are very predictive of academic performance. You know, So your GPA is well predicted by these other intelligence measures. The question is, what else is there? What else can we find when we measure the whole person that can predict academic performance better than these little tests? And also, wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, think about this. What's so cool about the paper is that it's saying that there is personality and motivational drivers that may rival raw intelligence for academic performance. It's a major step forward for how we think about potential, for how we think about performance, if we can bridge the gap and predict academic performance using personality metrics as well as predictions from intelligence, if that makes sense. So is it about like, so are these things that you're born with or is it growth or is it kind of saying that this is more, sometimes I think of intelligence and something is something that you're like inherently born with or like some people are smarter than others and does this like personality trait or like curiosity aspect give more like growth than almost like instability that that will come more into the discussion a little bit but my impression is that what this paper is trying to free us up toward thinking that academic performance is more a matter of our own volition Mm -hmm. than it is some raw concrete intelligence so it's trending toward the growth mindset um, ideal Without, it doesn't mention growth mindset anywhere in here, but my interpretation of the way that they're leading us through the introduction is toward a more flexible account for academic performance. That makes sense? Okay, yeah. definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe that innate trait that someone has isn't the past academic performance, but it's the ability to perform based on these other tra- these personality traits and non-ability measures. Whereas cognitive ability is indicative of what an individual has done in the past, personality traits reflect what a person is most likely to do uh-huh. in the future. Cool. Okay, that's a good way. That makes sense. Okay, and I think we have a good idea of the introduction now. What I like about this paper, well, for one thing, I like the depth that they go into in the introduction, and we're skimming over a lot of really good content from them. They throw at us a few ingredients. Joe, what are the other personality metrics they're really interested in? So the paper's most concerned with openness to experience, typical intellectual engagement, general intelligence, conscientiousness, and academic performance. Great. And very, very loaded measurements each of these are. What do you mean? Um, there's a lot of depth to... Oh, what, what, there's yeah, a lot of okay. depth to yeah. what each of these factors right. represents. Right, and that's what we're kind of skimming over. So for our listeners, you know, the introduction of this paper is rather daunting. 
And what we're skimming over is all the texture for what we really mean when we say openness, what we really mean when we say conscientiousness. The paper has some very in-depth discussion of these as personality constructs that we're going we're gonna to paper over a little bit. But openness just means in general how open are you to new experience. Conscientiousness refers to how aware we are of our surroundings and the things that happen and other people's perspectives. We're going to paper over a lot of the hardcore definitions just for the sake of time. And then can you fill us in? What exactly did it mean by typical intellectual engagement? That's a term that came up all over the place, and I wasn't sure if it was clear. Yeah, so in 1992, Goff and Ackerman came up with the Thai scale, which is typical intellectual engagement, which is meant to essentially measure intellectual curiosity at the very core. So it captures people's typical expression of engaging with and understanding their environment and their desire to solve and be absorbed by complex intellectual problems. Oh, okay. So that's one of the crux measures of the paper. Yes. So Thai, we'll call Thai equals curiosity from here out. And curiosity equals Thai. So Thai, T-I-E, typical intellectual engagement is going to be our shorthand or longhand term for curiosity. Is that fair? That's fair. Great. Let's talk methods. What, what did they do? And I'll walk you through this because it's complicated. <laughs> this, is, this is where a non-science student such as myself got a little bit lost. But the study was a correlation matrix of meta-analytic coefficients to fit a series of path models. Oh, well, that explains it. <laughs> yeah, ex- so, <laughs> all right, well, I think we're all Perfectly done for this fair. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the end. Okay, so unpacking that a little bit, how far did you get unpacking that? Long sentence. How far did it get yeah. into unpacking yeah, that? Yeah, and, and it's fine if it's zero, but it's because it's a complicated sentence. So what stands out is that this study was a meta-analysis uh-huh. that focused on Thai, typical intellectual engagements, as a representative construct for intellectual curiosity. Uh-huh. So <laughs> this study was a meta-analysis of studies that have been done in the past that study each of these factors, looking at openness, Thai, general intelligence, conscientiousness, and academic performance, and looking at that data and seeing, kind of layering those studies on top of each other to see if there's anything that one says about the next that says about the next. Yep. Based on their studies with students of all these different factors. Yeah, it's great. So the issue that the authors face is that there's no one study that examines all these factors together. And what they did instead was find all the studies that looked at one or two of these traits and see how they all relate to each other. So you might not have one study. We don't have one study that looks at all of them together, but we have many studies that look at trying to predict academic performance using general intelligence, curiosity, openness, conscientiousness, etc. And if you combine and layer them all on top of each other, you can learn some structure for what actually predicts academic performance. The benefit of a meta-analysis is that it's a great way to boost your sample size of the data set without going and collecting all the data. It also absorbs a lot of noise in that this is the two-edged sort of a meta-analysis. On the one hand, you might identify some core principle for what predicts academic performance. On the other hand, you may actually involve some noise because each of these studies probably started out with some independent predictors and their own background that they were hoping to test. Does that make sense? Of course. So 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. because they weren't all done at the same time, because the studies weren't carried out all with the same... Yeah, or the same ideas and hypotheses, and they all... It's just like one study was like, how does openness relate to academic performance? And then they did a whole thing. And then another study said, what about this curiosity thing? Does it relate to academic performance? You know, nobody went and did how does openness and curiosity relate to academic performance? So the statistical techniques and why it was so tricky in the meta-analysis, because they're looking at how do all these factors mediate each other using data sets that were collected all over the place for all different types of things. I think it's all college students. The The appendix has a lot of detail for, for who was in the study, et cetera, but uh, that's where they draw the complicated statistics. That's why it's kind of hard to read because it's about mediational analyses and shared variants and some stuff that we don't need to get too far into, but yeah. Well, it's like the analysis of data that's already been analyzed. It's a great way to do studies. You learn a ton from meta-analyses. They're great studies. They can be heavy on the math, but you learn a lot because you're combining. And to me, I like these because they kind of absorb the noise of stuff. And it also saves scientists the time to understand how these things all relate to each other altogether. So, okay, I think we have a good peanut gallery. Do you guys agree? Does this make some sense? Yeah. It's yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we have the methods down? Mm-hmm. Think so. Yeah. Yeah. Good at down or yeah. As non-science people, I would say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Basically, we take a bunch of data and we throw it in a pot and we see how it tastes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's like cooking three different pizzas at once. You need and a very say, skillful chef to put it together. Yes, and then we say, does the pizza still taste good when we combine all the different pizzas? It's almost dinner time. Something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Joe. Let's talk results. Yes. So. The paper comes to four general conclusions, the first being that intellectual curiosity is probably the most powerful predictor of academic performance that's been recorded. Cool. The second point being that personality traits uh, make no difference in the connection between academic performance and intelligence. Okay, wow. And to unpack that. Yeah, well, they're putting together all these things, so they're seeing all the unique you know, contributions to academic performance. And what's cool, the the authors did a good job in the abstract just saying that the raw intelligence is if you were to analyze one single factor that predicts academic performance, intelligence is the the key factor, the raw intelligence. So they're kind of confirming the baseline. It's been shown so many times that raw intelligence is the key predictor of academic performance. And intelligence and academic performance is kind of a two-way street or a one-way street. It's not mediated by conscientiousness or something like that. So somebody who has very high raw intelligence scores can be very low in conscientiousness or very high in conscientiousness, and it won't matter for their performance. Mm-hmm. Likewise, being someone who's very open to experience or very close to experience, with enough raw intelligence, they're going to perform equally well in academic performance. So there's no moderator between intelligence and academic performance. You have one, you're going to get the other. That said, intelligence, conscientiousness, and typical intellectual engagement, they are all direct predictors of academic performance. Right. So when you start adding things together, now is when it gets interesting. Because now we're moving past this model of, is intelligence alone enough to predict academic performance? Now they're using all these statistical methods to pull these things together to see what else predicts academic performance past intelligence or in combination with intelligence. So on one hand, while intelligence is important and 
is a predictor of how someone will perform academically. The combination of intellectual curiosity and effort, as measured by tie and conscientiousness, rivaled the influence of intelligence on its own. And that's great, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. I mean, intellectual curiosity is something maybe not everybody has, but it's certainly something that is more, as Piper was mentioning, something someone can grow into as opposed to growing into being a 2400 yeah. SAT student. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it's cool because I think you get the idea that something there is more flexible. The issue with these intelligence tests is that they are more flexible than we're led to believe. You know, your intelligence can change day to day a little bit. They're still fair, they're still pretty robust, but they're more flexible than we're led to believe. That's one of the limitations. But taking it at face value, I find this, well, let me ask before I lead you to my interpretation. What do you guys think, Lauren Piper? How do you think listening to the paper? Um, I would almost argue that academic performance isn't really an indicator of future success. If we're looking at just personality traits, I would say that that's a much better indicator of future success in life and business. Uh, Like looking at a person's connectivity with other people, their curiosity, just like just simple personality characteristics like that. I would say those are much better indicators than whether you are doing well in school. And that might be one of the limitations of the paper because it's measuring the connection of curiosity to academic performance. It's not looking at what happens after school. Or which is stronger, like, in relative success. Right. Yeah. No, I definitely find it very interesting. And it's nice to know that, like, personality can play a role in your, like, academic success and intelligence. Like, we talk a lot about, like, grit and perseverance and it'd be kind of interesting to see if those you know kind of play a role into this like personality trait kind of thing because I think it does I mean I know the data kind of says that you know intelligence is still the best predictor of academic I think I mean one of the things is that it's hard to imagine somebody who has a high level of intellectual curiosity and low levels of effort there's probably some folks like that or high levels of effort and no low curiosity there may be and I'm sure I could be argued with something more universal about what they're talking about. I think that's why that they try to lump all these things under curiosity mm-hmm. and just say this is like the aggregate score for curiosity as being the predictor of academic performance. I think the other issue, maybe more to Lauren's point, is that this is something you can take with you too. Obviously, and I really appreciate that critique that academic performance isn't the holy grail for humanity. <laughs> Far from it. It's a game that we all play. And it's also, the paper also speaks very much to academics because we all live here. And those of us who have stayed in academia enjoy it very much and are aspects of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we kind of stay here and you guys kind of cycle through to graduate and then you go on and do great things. So to us, we're very interested in academic performance kind of as a cultural thing. So one of the things about this paper that's interesting, and I don't think they talk much about culture, but I think those aspects of culture are really interesting. And it really builds off what you were saying about why why we should care about academic performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Joe, tell me, will this paper help us live longer? Or what will we do differently? As Piper again was saying, points us in the direction of thinking about a growth mindset. You know, this could be very beneficial for my little brother who's beginning to apply for colleges mm-hmm. right now, and academic performance is still important for him. And it's maybe, you know, it's intellectual curiosity at the core is a good thing because it pushes us in the direction of expanding our mind and learning about the world and engaging with the world. 
Yeah. Which will be beneficial, you know, when somebody gets out of school and is looking for a career and is seeking out options. And when you're hit with failure, you can wipe that failure off when at the very core you have some curiosity Mm -hmm. and interest to engage with the world around you. Yeah, I I totally agree. It's something you can take with you. That's one of the things. So I like the paper. I think they did a good job. I wanted... I would love to see a follow-up study where they actually collect all this data and collect all of it in one place and experimentally induce curiosity and do genetics and brain imaging. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> this is a joke, but I... It's a hilarious joke, by the way. <laughs> Let me get out my checkbook. Uh, no. Let's make it happen. <laughs> it's a terrible joke, but I'm heartened by the paper. I think it's interesting. I think it... You know, curiosity is something people also probably don't think is something you can study academically or scientifically. They probably think it's some flimsy, hippy-dippy thing. And here we see when you actually can control for it and actually use it as an important predictor, it's pretty powerful. So with that, thanks as always. And I hope you liked our episode of Performance Science. And please like and subscribe and tell a friend. And if you're interested in submitting ideas for the podcast to cover... This paper actually came to us through Twitter. We're always happy to cover a paper. We take requests here at the Front Science Podcast. And follow us on Twitter at USC PSI, the USC Performance Science Institute SME Twitter, and check for daily updates. Yes, thank you from our social media chair. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening.